Hi, welcome back to the Limited Upside Podcast, part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today we did an NBA draft preview. We had Ricky O'Donnell, our college basketball expert, join Mike and I. Because, uh, you know, Mike and I just followed that whole NBA thing, which, by the way, is the world's greatest soap opera playing out right now. And we talk about that a little bit. But before we get into all these great draft prospects and we get the best fits for teams and, and really just dive into Ricky's brain here, why don't you go ahead and uh, check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SBNation.com backslash MBA. Subscribe, rate, review, all those good things. We love the feedback. We love the questions. It's always greatly appreciated. Uh, and you can always send us questions and comments. You can send that uh, via email to MikePreda at SBNation.com. You can also send it to at SBN on Twitter or at Limited underscore Upside on Twitter or at EpiBen on Twitter. And uh, I think you guys will really enjoy this kind of preview podcast and then keep looking out for all of the great SB Nation NBA draft content coming at you over the next few days. This is the Limited Upside Podcast. Welcome back to the Limited Upside Podcast. Today is a special NBA draft edition, and for that, we welcome back Ricky O'Donnell, SB Nation's resident college basketball expert. Ricky, thanks for being here in studio with Mike and I. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I'm glad Prada is gracing us with his presence. (laughs) Oh, look, okay. All right. (laughs) I don't follow college the same way you do. It wouldn't make sense for me to just be an idiot on this show. Now there are actually NBA teams involved thanks to trades, and now you can look at me and glare at me when I say something stupid. It's almost like it's the NBA draft, and Mike's the NBA editor. Of yeah, that. they don't call it the college basketball draft, you know what I mean? <laughs> no one would that. <laughs> it's the first-year amateur draft or whatever they used to call it. But, uh, all right, let's just start with what just happened. It's been a crazy blitz. Um, I think, Mike, you've pointed this out. A number of people uh, in, in Twitter uh, across the NBA universe have pointed out that the NBA offseason is now almost far more intriguing than the actual NBA season, specifically this postseason. Ricky, that's a great way to cue you in here because you've had your finger on this pulse for the entire season. You've been watching college hoops. You've been watching these guys since they were in high school, since they were playing for you know U.S. under-18 teams. So you've got a pretty good view of all these prospects. We kind of have a good picture now that Markel Fultz is going to be the number one pick thanks to that Sixers trade. Before I get your impression on that, just so all the viewers have it in their head, Prado, what is the exact totality of the that trade? Sixers traded the number three pick this year, and they will give up the 2018 first round pick from the Lakers if it falls between ranges two and five. And if it doesn't, then they give up either the Kings 2019 first rounder or the Sixers 2019 first rounder, whichever is higher, unless one of them is the number one pick. Well done. Well done. So that brings us to. <clears throat> Mr. Markel Fultz, I'm very excited about this, but before I tell everyone why I'm so excited, let's let Ricky use facts and data to support my excitement. So, Ricky, talk to this <laughs> audience here. Ricky, please prove to, my opinion. Talk to this audience <laughs> with which I usually just give emotional appeals to um, some actual facts here to, to base What if he uh, thinks Markel he's not Fultz. good? Well, I'm, I'm taking a stab in the dark. Ricky, what do you think about Markel From Fultz? a trade perspective, I think this was a no-brainer for the Sixers. I mean, it was the third pick. It didn't seem like there was a real perfect fit for them. Josh Jackson's got some shooting issues. Jason Tatum, I don't know if he has enough uh, two-way versatility that they would have been looking for. 
Uh, Malik Monk would have seemed like a reach, but Fultz is just a no-brainer to me. I think he's the best prospect, guard prospect to hit the draft since maybe John Wall in 2010. You could throw Willard Kyrie and Kyrie Irving? in there. I would. Yeah. I actually think that Fultz is probably a better prospect than Kyrie was, and it's because really? he has a lot more two-way potential, I think. Kyrie, obviously uh, a fantastic player. I'm not here to yeah. criticize Kyrie Irving, but uh, he does have some limitations defensively in part because of his size, and I think that you know Fultz is just so much bigger. And Fultz's game does remind me of Kyrie's quite a bit because he's able to shoot with deep range off the dribble. I would say that's one of Kyrie's superpowers. Another one is Kyrie's uh, acrobatic finishing ability around the rim. That's something that Fultz also has. And then just a certain like creativity and flair to his game uh, that Mark Mark Fultz possesses when he has the basketball. So I think for Philadelphia, this is a fantastic trade. Uh, Fultz, you know, at six foot four, six five with a six nine wingspan, he's going to be one of the bigger lead guards in the NBA from day one. I think his shooting range, his scoring instincts, and just his size in general allows him to play on or off the ball, which is a particularly good fit in Philadelphia with a non-traditional ball handler like Ben Simmons, someone who, you know, Ben Simmons isn't exactly going to be stretching the floor in a Markel Fultz, Joel Embiid pick and roll. Oh, no. I mean, he might... He might like kind of cave the floor in. Sure, but to me, lack of a jumper. Sorry, Ben. That would say more about Simmons than Fultz. Fultz has very few holes in his game, which is why I think he's such a strong prospect. He has very good athleticism, great size, fantastic scoring instincts, developing as a uh, passer. So I really like Fultz. I think Fultz is the complete package and. To me, if I was the Celtics, I would have just taken Markel Fultz. Yes, That's yeah. just me. I was just thinking that, like, oh, wow, that sounds awesome. That seems like the Celtics would really love that. Yeah, so sort of my theory on this is that when the Celtics made the trade with the Nets in 2013, they knew they would be drafting a player out of the 2016 high school class, recruiting class. Uh Jason Tatum, who's the player I believe the Celtics will draft, we'll see if that ends up being true at number three, he was at the top of those class rankings the entire time. From the first time those started to develop when these kids were freshmen in high school, Tatum was always one of the guys. I'm sure the Celtics have been following Tatum closely ever since he was a young player. At the same time in his career, Fultz couldn't even make the varsity team on his high school basketball team as a sophomore. Fultz is very much a late bloomer. They don't have as much data data on him. They didn't see him in uh, sort of these high-leverage situations uh, like playing in the NCAA tournament or playing in, you know, marquee college games or international games the way Tatum has. And really, I just think that, you know, at the end of the day, there's a value to these big oversized wings with diverse skill sets. The Celtics got one last year in Jalen Brown, who's a bit of a surprise pick at number three. Also, like, the high, a highly rated high school player who's sure. disappointed in college, right? Absolutely. On a mediocre college team. And Tatum is similar in the sense that, you know, he's, he's a wing about 6'8", but whereas Jalen Brown is the superior athlete and the better defensive prospect, Tatum really offers classic go-to scoring ability. Someone you can just throw the ball to and he's going to get buckets. So I think that those two guys complement each other really well. The Celtics sort of see the way the league is going where you know there's no archetype more valuable than yeah. you know, a versatile 6'8 wing. Uh, and I just think that they probably regarded Tatum as well or even more highly than they regarded Fultz. So we don't think that it's some retroactive spin from Ainge when he says, like, no, we think we're going to get the guy at three, that we we're going to get at one, even though it's a question that in asking him that, you are you are uh, uh, inferring he's going to give you the answer of, well, we obviously didn't get rid of the guy we thought or didn't trade the pick for the guy who we thought was going to be the best fit here. We're going to get the guy who we thought was our number one overall. Um, so you actually think that he 
Ainge has uh, Tatum. You know, he higher. could have been one B on their board or yeah, something, yeah. but the opportunity to add another premium pick in the future yeah. and to get a player who they like, who they think fits really well with sure. the long term direction of the franchise, like so many of these young players, it's about fit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm not super high on Tatum in a vacuum. When I did a big board for SB Nation two weeks ago, I had Tatum number six overall in this class. Why is that? It's just lower than a lot of other people do. Because, uh, well, first of all, I do think he's kind of a ball stopper. I think as a player, he's a bit selfish. He had a lot more turnovers than assists this yeah, that, year. That's a big red flag to me. I don't watch these guys that much. But, like, if you're a forward and you have more turnovers than assists, that tends to be the kind of player that disappoints in the NBA. I mean, that was the case with Derek Williams and Anthony Bennett uh, back in the day, I think. Um, there are just a lot of prospects like that. You know, that, that, shows, that shows me something. And that's a concern. I would be really worried about well, that. So compare this with Josh Jackson. Then let's talk sure. about those two primary guys who have been, you know, rumored to be that Celtics pick at three. Yeah, and there could be someone else who busts in, and we'll get your opinion on that as well. Um, talk me through the pluses and minuses. Tell me where Tatum's actually better than Jackson, and yeah. tell me where Jackson's the, the so, better prospect. I guess if you were comparing the two, I would take Jackson over Tatum because I think Jackson has a more diverse skill set. He impacts the game in more ways. Mm-hmm. Tatum, absolutely the better scorer in a half-court setting. You can toss the ball to Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum's going to get you points. That's why he has been compared a little bit to a young Carmelo Anthony in a sense because he really do- does just have, you know, he's the type of guy who can pop off for 20 at any point. Sure. Uh, and if any college basketball fans watched Duke in the ACC tournament or in the early rounds of the NCAA tournament before they lost to South Carolina, Tatum was on fire. He was playing his best basketball. Say it one more time. He lost to who? South Carolina. Okay. Right. He was playing the best basketball of his life uh, at the end of the season. Who, who did uh, Mark Hill Fultz in Washington uh, lose to in the I just, NCAA tournament? I, I'm glad you brought that up, Mike, because, uh, <laughs> again, now South Carolina made a nice run. I don't want to get you too off topic here. Final Four team. Um, they made a nice run, right? But... Uh, I don't think that in like a neutral site type situation, they'd have been that much of a favorite over some nine-win Markel Fultz team, too. Oh, South yeah. Carolina, not that yeah. good either. Yeah. Middle-of-the-run SEC team. Oh, shots well, fired at P.J. Dozier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They have to do with yeah. the best name in college hoops. Sindarius? Sindarius, yeah. I honestly think that dude's going to be a good NBA player just because of his name. I hope so. Yeah. So I would say Josh Jackson, uh, he reminds me a bit of Iguodala, if you wanted a uh, player comp for him. Not a perfect comparison, but... Really good defensive player, fantastic passer. I wrote about that during the college season. Uh, he actually has some point forward potential, I think, uh, as a six seven wing, and I think he's just a superior athlete too. It'll be better in the open floor, better in transition. Uh, and Josh Jackson has just a really high motor and feel for the game. Hmm. So that combination is why, to me, he's the third best player in this class. Whereas Tatum, even though he is, you know, a big, fluid six eight guy. He just doesn't have the mindset to like be a real difference maker defensively, yeah. I don't think. Uh, and then Tatum, too, it's like when he was coming up through the ranks, the first thing everyone said about Jason Tatum is, oh, he's so polished in the mid-post. Like He was great as you know, mid-range scorer. But in the NBA, you really want threes or layups, especially in today's NBA. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Tatum, but he's 19 years old. I mean, certainly his game will develop. He, he built his scoring ability from the inside out. Mm-hmm. So, you know, was that a mistake? I don't know. I mean, maybe not. He certainly put him on the map early in his career. uh, And he had a good career at Duke, too. Yeah, I guess he should have thought at age 13, like, oh, I knew the NBA was going to go a different way. So I should have changed my game. Uh, Um, I mean, you talk about the last crop of Duke prospects probably was with Jabari Parker, Okafor, Ingram, and now Tatum and right. Winslow, you got Winslow. And Winslow, as well. sure. And Winslow was you know the lesser thought of prospect with Okafor, even though he's probably a much more important 
valuable NBA asset than my man Jaleel. Um, there are, are there, there applies to most players in this league, though. Oh, Mike, come on, dude. We're not talking about Jaleel Okafor now. Save it. Why? Save it. Save <laughs> it. He might not even be a sixer much longer. We'll see. God willing. Um, that requires so, another team to want him. Right. But So there's another guy we haven't mentioned yet who I want to sprinkle into this conversation. Because I know you're really high on him, Ricky. We talked about this before the podcast. And I'd love for you to tell me where you see Jonathan Isaac fitting in with these other guys we just mentioned who are bigger names in this draft but might not even be the best wing, you know, uh, cast, Scott, small forward, power forward, split guy. Yeah, I had Isaac as the number four player in this class because mm. I think that he could be really special defensively. He's someone who could theoretically guard four positions. He offers like a rare combination of ability to defend the perimeter and protect the rim a little bit, some supplemental rim protection. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see players in, like him in the draft every year, I feel like, whether it's Ingram or our boy Bruno Caboclo, did I pronounce that correctly, <laughs> yes. for the Raptors? Uh, <laughs> most of those guys, you know, your skinny, raw offensive yep. wings, you think if everything clicks for them offensively, they could be really good. Well, Isaac still offers that, but also he's just a ready-made defensive prospect sure. who sure. proved at the college level that uh, he can defend guards, he can defend forwards, he can block shots. So uh, I like Isaac a lot. I think that certainly his handle will need to be something he can improve, but that's you say that about every young wing. Yeah. It seems like they all need to improve their handles, and he's a pretty good shooter already. Were there any head-to-head matchup? I mean, I know like Florida State and Duke played this year. Yeah. Did you get to see any film where Isaac and, and Tatum were, were going head-to-head? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there was a play where... Isaac swatted him at the rim when Tatum tried to dunk. So, I mean, of course, they got the better of each other. Uh, basketball is a fluid game. On, it is. It is. On different positions. It is? But yeah. So it I hear. Huh. I want to back up for a second. Yeah. How many other teams do you th- do we think would have said, yeah, Marco Fultz is 1A, but we have a 1B? I f- that's, like, kind of the big question to me. Like, were the Celtics on this island being like, oh, yeah, we think Fultz is okay, but, like, we're willing to trade down to not – and trade out of getting him because that's a you know last time the number one pick got traded was 1993 right I mean like that's, that's a crazy that's a big time risk that they're taking yeah, and there's an, there's a expected win value from the first pick to second pick drop off it's, it's like off a cliff and then right. from second on, on on down so the third and first have a much different expected win value from even the first and second from the player you get there right and and there is it is unlikely that mm-hmm. any of these future picks that they have is going to be number one it's not impossible. You know, it could happen, right. but like this was, they've taken the the bird in hand and traded it constantly for two in the bush. Right. So, like, right. what are are there any other teams that like are looking at Fultz and like if he's as good as you say he is, like I would think that the answer is no. So, like, what is it? What could possibly have? Is there anything that Boston is thinking about with underwhelming with Fultz that actually has some merit? And is there any other team that would think that? Well, I think Boston has a lot of guards in the first place. They drafted Terry Rozier in the first round. They drafted Marcus Smart. They have Avery Bradley. They have Isaiah Thomas. Not maybe, uh, for, maybe not for long, though. I mean, like right. you know, like coming up for years. Well, maybe soon. now this shows their hand that maybe they want to keep Isaiah Thomas long term. Is that the correct decision? I don't know. But I do agree with you. I think that is a fascinating uh, mm-hmm. sort of subplot of this. Is would anyone else have done this besides for the Celtics? Would anyone else have willingly dropped from one to three? I don't think so. I tend to agree with you. I think uh, Danny Ainge is probably on an island in this evaluation. Uh, whoever he likes at number three over Fultz. So. Extra part of this being job security. Very few GMs in all of basketball. Forget it. Yeah, very few a, general managers, presidents of operations, whatever, in every sport under the sun, take every league under the sun, have as much security as Danny Ainge does. Right. That's a big part of it, too. Um, but I'm curious. Like, let's say you could guarantee all these GMs would stay for the next five years. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, Are there other teams? 
Because if the answer is no, then like, okay, the Celtics might end up being right about this and we'll see. Like, what could they possibly see? Is it literally just the high school thing? And like, what, what are the, what's the downside of the Fultz? As a prospect. Yeah, I don't know. I think Fultz, uh, you know, defensively, he's one of those guys who's such a high-caliber offensive player that maybe coasts a little bit defensively. I don't Mm -hmm. think he brings it defensively on every possession. Uh, But, you know, to me, Fultz has such a complete game. Like, I really don't have many questions about Fultz. I expect him to be one of the best guards in the NBA when he reaches his peak when he reaches his potential so nice. uh, I, I would great. I would go with Markel Fultz all day that's just me I think that he's the total package right and, and it's like him and Isaiah had the Washington connection yeah. and by the way like I don't think this is why they did it but like if any part of this was about like oh we're committing to Isaiah Thomas for a huge contract extension after 2018 that's a mistake and I don't think it was like yeah. so if that's not the case then what was this about I mean Maybe another way to look at this is like short of Fultz being not as good as Jason Tatum, like where in what way is this going to work out for the Celtics? Well, they get another big wing at a time when big wings certainly have a major premium on them. And, you know, you pick up another pick next year. If they have the third pick in the draft next year, you're just adding another high caliber prospect. Or they're trading it. Or, tra- or you, you trade know, it. You know, another asset, chip yeah. if you want to trade for Paul George or but Jimmy wouldn't Butler the number one or pick Anthony be a Davis. Better, a number one pick would be a better chip than their future pick i guess the only way to think about it is like if they if they believe that see like the whole idea that oh now they're going to be more in on butler and george like that doesn't make any sense to me like if you wanted to get those guys like you wouldn't you wouldn't lessen your pick this year you know if you really wanted to get those guys just trade them one pick what if you still want jason tatum and to get those guys now you have a little extra ammunition in terms of future yeah. picks to trade. But that's why I think that if, if you're talking about like a trade piece, like they're, they're looking, I think, two years down the road at like, well, what if Anthony Davis continues to flounder New Orleans? Or, mm-hmm. you know, hey, maybe Westbrook. I don't know if that's who they want. But like I don't think that they're going to go for a player like that right now, like especially when they can sign Hayward outright this it, summer, which it sounds like is like a legit possibility. Yeah, that – that would change things a little bit without having to move your assets. With the news today, um, we should say we're recording this on, on a Tuesday, um, with the news today that Porzingis might be fielding offers, or I should say the Knicks might be fielding offers for Kristaps, what's a realistic package that you would put together, Ricky, to get that to get that piece in Porzingis, I should say, for the Celtics? For the Celtics, well, I mean, I guess you'd have to start with those future picks. Yeah. You can uh, begin with the ones they acquired in this trade down from one to three. Maybe throw in that Nets trade. I think Porzingis would be great for the Celtics. If I was the Celtics, I would trade that unprotected Nets pick next year for Porzingis. Uh, no doubt about it. Yep. You would. I don't know. Okay, so how bad are the Nets going to be next year? Most likely, I would assume Bottom they three. would be very bad. Yep. So Bottom you're looking three. at. If you're the worst team in the league, you have what percent chance of getting a top three 25% pick? 25% No, no, no not number one. Oh. I'm saying top three. I don't know. So it's like 49%. Who's in next then. year's draft? Like, I mean, it's so early, but like, are we looking at a better class than this year? I mean, if that's the case, then I don't know if I would trade that pick for Borzingas. Oh, well, I've done the 2018 mock draft already, so <laughs> I tell you all about 2018. Yeah, how good class. is that class? Uh, well, I think Luka Doncic is the consensus number one player. He's uh, playing professionally in the Spanish League right now. There's also Michael Porter Jr., who I've seen a bunch of times on the AAU circuit, the high school circuit. He's going to Mizzou next year. And then there's a bunch of big men. Uh, DeAndre Ayton, who will be at Arizona. He's an offense-first big man who has great shooting range and mobility and length. And then there's Mo Bamba, my boy <laughs> Mohamed Bamba, who's going to Texas with a 7'9 wingspan. Mo Bamba. There you go. 
get no, it out no. early. Let's just hope uh, he never plays in the NBA. So Mike never some game-changing <laughs> defensive potential. He could be maybe like a Rudy Gobert type. So, you know, it'll be a good class next year. I think that the 17 class is probably stronger than the 18 class because of the guards. Yeah. I really like the guards in the 17 class. Yeah, and we'll get we'll get to those other guards we haven't mentioned yet shortly. And just looking, by the way, and I think this is a major uh, a major part of maybe where the Sixers' brain was in this trade. But yeah, it's the 2018 draft is a big man heavy draft. I mean, Michael Porter is what six ten. He's got to like play the four. He's right. a, like he's a nominal wing who will play the four right. in the NBA. Uh, That's right. And Donich is is six eight. He might be your scoring. Uh, I mean, he has a bigger guy's game. But you know, too. he needs the ball in his hands yeah. too. He, no, he's like point forward type. But like okay. they already have Simmons. If I'm the Sixers, it's like I don't want to be in the lottery anymore. Agreed. Give me Markel yeah. Fultz. Markel Fultz is the best guard. In a long time, yeah. at least in a few years, yeah. you know, yeah. at least in a few years. Yeah. So just give me faults. Like, I don't care about these future picks. Yeah. I personally think that they didn't give up enough <laughs> for this. Like, if I'm the Sixers, I would have done this with the unprotected Lakers pick and the Kings pick. I would have right. been like, whatever, that's still right. good enough. No, for see, me. I, I wouldn't do that, but it is sort of true that, like, okay, they've got, unlike the Celtics, like, it's kind of weird to put it this way for a team that won 53 games versus a team that won 28. But, like, the Sixers have their core in place. Like, I don't know if they're going to stay healthy. I don't sure, know if right. they're going to fit together. Who knows? But, like, they've got, like, three. Blocks. They've got their building yeah. blocks. So now it's, like, we're not, like, trying to play the lottery, like, sort of roll roll it in and, like, kind of cash in our, like, kind of lottery balls for, like, golden ticket anymore. Like, they have their right. golden tickets. So, like, you may as well go get the last golden ticket like you don't need you don't need a, those more bites of the apple like mm-hmm. boston is paradoxically in a different position where it's like they have a nice team but they don't have they like, overachieved they, this year they don't have their golden ticket That's and right. so i guess they could look at this and say well now we have an extra bite at the apple to get the golden ticket what is just still confusing to me is like okay like you're still trading if marco fultz is as good as you think he is like it's not like you're going to keep Bradley Smart and Thomas around after this year. I mean, Bradley's going to get a ton of money as a free agent. Smart is a restricted free agent. Like, even if you didn't draft Fultz, you're not keeping all those guys. And then to say nothing of Thomas, like, and if you're already, by the way, playing to 2021, right? Mm-hmm. Because you're you're basically saying we're going to wait out LeBron. Otherwise, they would have pushed in more chips to get Paul George now, which mm-hmm. they haven't done, or or Butler. They're not going to do like. The ways that this can work out for Boston is one that they're right and Fultz is not very as good as everybody thinks, right? Certainly, yeah. What's the other way this works? The other way this works out is that one of their three. So let's say they have, if you count their pick this year, the Nets pick in eighteen, and this other pick in nineteen. One of those three players turns out to be better than Fultz. Right. Sure. That's one way it works out. That justifies it, but doesn't. So yeah, that that's what makes this potentially a good trade for both teams. Right. I'm just curious. Like, I'm trying to sketch the roadmap to see if it was like a worthwhile. trade. How about like Jason Tatum turns into a 22 point per game guy, and and him and Brown are both really good. Now, maybe Fultz is better. Let's say hypothetically, Fultz is a better player than Tatum, Uh, but Tatum's still like really good. And then you're adding another premium pick. Yeah. In the next. What if you don't get like, like? Is it better to just? What I'm saying is. Is it better to just take again? You, if Marco Fultz is going to be the best player, like obviously, if he's not as good as Tatum, then the Celtics obviously win this or have a great outcome from this. And I don't know what the ch- what are the chances of like that being true? Like fifteen percent? Yeah, I'd probably say that's fifteen percent. So, what are the chances then of one of those three picks being better than Fultz on his own? What do you think? Like 
35%? Yeah, man, it's tough. I don't know. Like, I, if I was a Celtics, if I was a Celtics fan, I would not like this trade. I just want Markel Fultz. If yeah, I was right. a Celtics that fan. seems to be now, the consensus. The, the other way this works out, of course, is that, in again, two years, Anthony Davis is on the market. And now, instead of, like, kind of being a little more asset poor to trade for him, you have a little bit more in the in the tank. If it's, like, in, in, tw- in you know, 365 days from now, and now the Celtics have... Jalen Brown, Tatum, or Jackson, whoever they pick, and 2018 from the Nets, and 2019 or end that 2000. Yeah. Then it's like okay, you they're not ready to trade Davis now or whatever, but then they would be. That's the other I mean, way it would work out yes. for them, I think. Theoretically, they could have the one and two pick next year. They could, yeah. yes. In which case, that's a lot of leverage to move pieces around next right. season as well. Right. Um, so they're basically they're they're punting their window yeah, back some more, which I, I think it makes sense. But then. I also think that if you you could take Fultz and still punt your window back, and so I think, do you think do you think if they had known that Griffin would be fired by the Cavaliers, that they would have made this trade? I think everybody knew what the David Griffin situation was. I, I think they did their homework. Like I, I don't think that changes anything. I don't think that I think there was always a possibility that he they were not going to agree. Because, I mean, I'm just saying because it seems to make a little bit of um, you know it, it definitely changes the the equation in Cleveland. I think a little bit if you're a team who's projecting them on that window to then make your success go right. after that. Right, and then you know who knows if LeBron sticks around. Right. Like, right. yeah, I get but, that. Alas. But I think they knew. I, I think they knew that that was a possibility. Yeah. Like yeah. when they, I'm just, I, I'm just trying to sketch out the ways that this trade could work mm-hmm. out for them. And you know, it's like one of those things. Like they have a lot of balls in the air, and yeah. that's great. And again, if they really didn't think Fultz was that good compared to the guys that could get, like, yeah, it totally makes sense to get another asset. I'm just. I'm just wondering, like, you right. know, is I just I'm I'm a bird in hand person. Like, I want the I think that you get the sure thing to me. Yeah. Like, and I think it's a huge risk to do it to do this. And you know, it, I'm not. It could totally work out. But like, I I just don't like. I'm not a huge fan of trading like one bird in hand for multiple bushes birds in the bush. Like, I just think uh, that's, that's enough a, bird. That's enough birds and <laughs> apples and all that stuff for for the next ten podcasts. Right, what, but I get what, you. I get you. I what, get, I see what should you. I use instead? I'm just saying. I understand what you're. You want the ability to take the asset that or the player that you have now over the theoretical players that come in the future. Right. And I don't. And I think they know. And yeah. I agree that what they have on the yeah. roster. Is not going to affect this decision. So, so let's let's talk about some other players in this 2017 draft. While we have Ricky here, and we'll get we'll get into Mike's um, basketball yeah, ethos. Ricky knows some NBA too. No, 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 no. I know, but I want to make sure that we're maximizing. As a Bulls fan, very little. <laughs> Twenty four million for Dwayne Wade. Player options oh, picking up. Um, sorry, You're breaking Ricky. my heart. Sorry, bud. I didn't want to bring that up. This is Brady Hoke, and if I know one thing, it's bad college football. That's why I'm here to tell you about the Shutdown Fullcast, a college football podcast so bad that it's mostly not even about football. Every Wednesday, you can listen to Spencer Hall, Jason Kirk, and Ryan Nanny ramble about grocery stores, John Gruden's secrets to everlasting wealth, and unsolved murders. The Shutdown Fullcast, we're very sorry.
Okay, so let's talk about the other guard prospects right now because I think we've done a, a good job of going over sort of these wings, that number one pick. Yeah. Um, but we have not talked about Darren Fox or Alonzo Ball, both sure. of which. What's up? And uh, I guess and uh, Monk and uh, maybe who else? Maybe Dennis, Dennis Smith. Smith and Do- Donovan Mitchell's a guy I really like. Nikila Tina. I don't know. How Frank. To pronounce. I haven't pronounced Nikila um, who's just Frank N. Um, French Frank. But uh, anyhow, and France obviously has a nice lineage now of quality NBA players. But um, let's talk about these other guards that are falling after faults here, because I think that Lonzo Ball has become underrated through no, I don't know, through no circumstance of his own. His his father's hype game, uh, the final college basketball game he had, which wasn't his best foot forward against uh, one of the guys who's in, mentioned in the same voice as him with Darren Fox putting up 37 in that game against UCLA, but um, I guess the best place to start is tell me why the Lakers should sit put, stop all this trade speculation, shut up and just pick Ball. Lonzo Ball is the smartest young basketball player I've ever seen. I think he's a savant, a basketball genius, and I think that, you know, uh, if the Lakers add Lonzo Ball to a young core that already includes D'Angelo Russell and Brandon Ingram, Ball will help unlock the potential in those two players. He will make those players so much better immediately by Pushing the ball by getting them in <laughs> more comfortable spots to score. Pushing the Lonzo. Pushing the Lonzo ball. Uh, <laughs> so I just think that you know Ball is constantly thinking this, the game two steps ahead. Uh, you know his his outside shooting ability. People are questioning that jump shot, but certainly you're not going to be able to collapse off of him right. because he was hitting 44 percent of his threes or whatever it was with deep range too. He was he showed off more NBA range than anyone last year in college basketball. Um, obviously great size at 6'6". So I just think that Ball is a difficult player to evaluate because he's so unique as a prospect, because his greatest strength is his mind, mm-hmm. and because you're just not really sure how that's all going to translate to the NBA. You look at him, he can't even shoot the ball if he's driving right. You know, yeah, if he's going like right, he thing. can't shoot. He's That's a red flag. He's not really a pick-and-roll point guard. He's not someone who's going to hit you with a double crossover and beat you off the dribble like Kyrie Irving. But I don't care about any of that, because when Lonzo has the rock... He's going to put the offense did you in a better not position to succeed. Ball? I did, yeah. I was, <laughs> I was thinking job. of a synonym for ball. <laughs> this is going to be an issue uh, for NBA fans. Yeah, when Lonzo's got the rock, I think that <laughs> the offense is going to find itself in a better position. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, if you just look at what happened to UCLA, UCLA was 15 and 17 the year before Lonzo Ball arrived. Fans were flying planes over campus that said fire Steve Alford. It's a very Lonzo, soccer thing to do. Lonzo Ball shows up. <laughs> Finger out. And they're one of the best shows in the country there. Yep. You know, at yep. top five team the whole season, number one in offense, number one in pace, uh, you know, at least among the yeah. The high major team. So he, he brought his mentality to a full year. Sure. He imprinted yeah. the Lonzo yeah, Ball right. game onto an entire program. And I would expect him to do the same thing with the Lakers. I think that Russell is a perfect backcourt partner for Lonzo Ball. Partner. I, because I, I, I think that Mike might disagree. I think that Russell might be on the move if they get Lonzo Ball. I would not trade Russell. I want the Russell Ball backcourt 100%. Because, <laughs> you know. At lower levels of the game, you'll see two-point guard backcourts quite a bit. It doesn't really happen in the NBA because they don't have the length uh, to sure. defend multiple positions. Or these big guards like Ricky Rubio uh, or Emmanuel Moody, they don't have the shooting ability. Right. Alfred Payton, John Wall, to play off the ball. But both those guys can stroke threes. Both of them can pass a little bit. They have a creativity to their game that I think is valued in a pace and space offense that mm-hmm. uh, you know Luke Walton's going to want to run a little bit there. And 
I just really think their games complement each other super well in the offensive event. Now, defensively, it might be a challenge, but uh, yeah. they're long armed. <laughs> I mean, be a challenge. <laughs> you know, they're going to have. It's not like they're small. Right. It's not like they I don't mean, have they, a chance. They, they're they're big guards. Small for, for they're six five and six six. I yeah, mean, yeah, I mean that's tall. kind of like average size for an NBA backcourt, though. Like it's not sure, but it's now not you huge. have well, potentially two guys with plus. Right. Shooting ability, passing ability, ball handling ability. And throwing Ingram as a small forward, he's plenty long. As he's 7'3", wingspan. <laughs> he can stroke threes, too. Yeah, yeah. I really like that fit of Lonzo Ball to the Lakers. I would I would do that right away. If, if they take Josh Jackson, the Lakers are thinking small. Mm-hmm. Josh Jackson will be a good player. I don't even know if he'll be a perennial all-star, but I, I like Josh Jackson a lot. But Lonzo, who knows, man? He could be anything. I mean, like Lon- the sky's gonna, the limit. Let's be real; they're going to take him. Like, I agree. I mean, yeah. what? What are? This is all a smokescreen, right? Like, they're they're definitely taking. So, him. so, does that mean that Phoenix then will take that uh, the whoever is left of Tatum and Jackson? Yeah, I think that J- Josh Jackson is a great fit for Phoenix. Okay. If I'm Phoenix, they are the sleeper winner of the trade between the Celtics and the Sixers. Well, that assumes because, that the Celtics indeed take Tatum. Right. right. Well, I feel strongly about that. Maybe I'm totally wrong. Who knows? Right. Okay. But. Uh, Draft yeah, Express I w- now has I w- Tatum at three. So. I would expect Jackson to go to the Suns, and I think that's great for the Suns. Like the Suns probably would rather have Lonzo in an ideal world. They want sure. Lonzo. They probably take Lonzo over Fultz. I bet. I'm sure there's a few well, that's, teams. That's that would my take other question. Lonzo like, wait, if Lonzo is so good, like what? What is it about Fultz that separates him from Lonzo? Like, why? Why not take Lonzo number one? Yeah, Fultz has a lot more of a traditional game. I think like he's like safer. Whereas like Lonzo, in a sense, you're going to need to uh, put. The right teammates around him. You need to put, uh, you know, guys with mobility and guys with shooting ability around him. Fultz, you just put him out there, and he's just going to score twenty five. It's right. like he is so good in the pick and roll. Uh, he is great shooting range. He can just get his own offense. You know, he does take a lot of mid range shots, but it's like he can manufacture his own offense. Fultz. Uh, so I think Fultz is like plug and play, whereas Lonzo, he needs to be in the right environment. But he's the rare star, Lonzo Ball, who doesn't need a lot of. You just need to hold the ball a lot to have a big impact on the offense. Yeah, you had that crazy stat with UCLA last year, and I forget exactly what it was. You were just hinting towards it there, but it's something like he had the ball in his hands the least of any guard to have, and then I'm blanking on what it was, like wins value or PER, one of those things. that sure. was some you know analytics that basically said that when the ball is in his hands, it is exponentially more valuable than anybody else because it's not in his hands that often, and it's still yielding X and, and the other thing, too, with Lonzo is, like, people will point to stuff like, uh, you know, that UCLA had a lot of shooters around him or that, you know, mm-hmm. T.J. Leaf is going to be a first-round pick uh, in yep. this draft. E.K. and Bogle will be a first-round right. pick. They weren't on the team previous to Lonzo. They all came in together, right? That yeah, was a freshman class. But too. Lonzo sees plays that no one else would even see. So right. it's like hard to even like comprehend what would happen without him because he's seeing things that no one, like, sure. no one else is mm-hmm. recognizing. So he's kind of like a shorter Simmons. But with a better shot, Lonzo. Ball, he's just a genius. He really. I is. can already tell he's going to be like my favorite player in the. He's league. awesome. Like, I love I can Lonzo. Already tell. It sounds a lot like you're describing Jason Kidd. Right. That was the, the well, thing. Well, I, mean, I mean, is that? I and mean, look, Kidd came he's in. Not, the not, not the defender that Kidd. Kidd is. That's true. Totally. Yeah. That was going to be the first thing I would say. Yeah. But also, like, if if Kidd came into the league now, like when he came into the league at whenever in the early '90s, they called him Ace and Kidd. Jason went no J, obviously. <laughs> uh, but in you know today's game, I think that Lonzo Ball is a ben- beneficiary of the Steph Curry revolution in a sense. Like he yeah. grew up in California, he watched Steph Curry, he was encouraged to take shots that Steph Curry would take. Sure. I think, uh, and he's really going to be one of the first players to enter the league 
post Curry and who's like you know a descendant of him in a sense just yeah. because it's gonna be so uh, interesting to see more people come in like that yeah especially what's the youngest son's name Lamelo. Yeah, well, but so my theory on this is that none of the other kids are that good. I mean, we'll see if Lamelo ends up being good. I don't know. Obviously, he's a better prospect than Leangelo, who'll be at UCLA next year. But Lonzo was the one who led Chino Hills High School to an undefeated season with his right. brothers. Everyone's like, "Oh, these brothers are all so good." I personally think it was all Lonzo. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, he's UCLA, the six, six slender one. Okay, that's an important part of that equation missing how, from the other how two. How big one. is Lamelo? Lamelo, well, who knows? I mean, he's, he's like a child. He's like 15. Yeah. So yeah. I think he's still growing. But, uh, but, but I believe as we he's all about know, like when you're 15, I mean, like just with Jason Tatum, you should have seen the 15 year. At 15, you should have seen the revolution. <laughs> well, but yeah, no, I, I hear you. Uh, so, you're, so we are saying that I think it's pretty clear that uh, Lonzo will bring his big ball brand to the Lakers. Big baller yeah. brand, dude. Big baller brand. Yeah. I think it's going to be a great fit, Lonzo, the Lakers. I'm all in on it. I well, think, so I perhaps I will be wrong, but I think it's going to be a really exciting product. In Los Angeles, if they keep those three guys yeah. together, if they pa- if they panic and move Russell, I mean, I can't speak to D'Angelo Russell's off the court issues or what they think about his mentality, uh, but I just really like the on court pairing of those two guys, skill set wise. So, there was a player, Darren Fox, who, by the way, in every interview that I see Darren Fox do, he's awesome. He might dude. be the coolest guy to come oh, yeah. to the NBA. I talked to him multiple times when he was a high school player. He was always like yeah, he, the first person you want to talk to. He's just like uh, uh, great for Sacramento. <laughs> Exactly, he's the face of the franchise. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So maybe, so let me ask you this: as as strong of a fit as Lonzo is for the Lakers on a lot of levels, with which you just described, is Darren Fox that same type of fit for the Kings? I think so. Yeah, because the Kings just desperately need a new face of the franchise after the yeah. Boogie Cousins trade. I think the Fox is uniquely suited to do that because he's so likable, he's competitive, he plays both ends of the floor, and he has that one elite physical trait, which is yeah. his speed. He's you know he'll be right up there with John Wall. I think is among the fastest players in the NBA. Uh, I do probably have a little less of an opinion than a lot of people on Fox because I just wonder, like, how good can a point guard be in today's NBA if he really can't shoot? Now, obviously, Fox could improve as a shooter. He's often compared to Mike Connolly, who made major strides from Ohio State to the Memphis Grizzlies. Mm -hmm. But I look at De'Aaron Fox, and everything everything De'Aaron Fox can do, Giannis can do, and Giannis is seven feet tall. (laughs) Well, also, Emmanuel Moutier. Right, like I mean, it's a very, very moody. Alfred Payton, uh, like Alfred Payton, like there's just so, so many of these guys. It's so hard if you can't shoot. Yeah, I would say that Fox is a lot more agile than either of those guys. Like Fox will be able to slither his way through the lane, make okay. plays at the basket yeah. for himself and others. Uh, that's the big difference, I would say. Whereas Moody was like a lot stronger, a lot sturdier base, but yeah. he didn't have like the slipperiness of right. De'Aaron Fox, who's a blur in the open court and who can just like left-handed. You know, That's important. find his way to the rim. Oh yeah, this is Ben's uh, unified theory of left-handed players. They always outperform because they're lefties. They do. I mean, this is this always take a left-handed theory. person over a right-handed person in professional sports, not in a teaching phase of a person's career. It's harder to teach the opposite hand, the left-handed person in every single sport. By a numbers basis. Are you a lefty, Ben? I'm right-handed. I've, I've grew no, up playing tennis right-handed, and every time I played a lefty, it yeah. sucked. And every time I hit a baseball growing up and it was a left-handed pitcher, that was weird for me. And every time I guarded a left-handed point guard growing up, that was a little bit awkward. Yeah. It's just that slight variation that throws you off a bit. Plus, when you're an extremely good finisher at the rim, which Fox is a really good finisher around the basket yeah. with his left hand. No, Fox is good for sure, yeah, but it's like, it's you know different. what? A lot of Fox's strengths and weaknesses are similar to Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons is 6'10", 240. Yeah, Darren Fox totally. is 6'3", 170 maybe. It's yeah, like I'm sure the Kings would take Ben Simmons if he was available at five, though. For yeah. sure. I mean, that's sort of, I mean, he's not Ben Simmons. That's right. That's, he could still be pretty he's good. A, he's a very good guard prospect. I would be very tempted to take Take Dennis Smith over De'Aaron Fox. Let's talk about Dennis Smith. And that's just so me. Dennis why, Smith. Why is he falling? Like, wasn't he like the top 
high school, went really high in the high school ranks. Yeah. He just, ACL, though. He just, junior year, I believe, in high school? No, right before the start of his right senior year at well, Adidas Nations in August. But he, he, he's like, year. I mean, mm. I haven't watched him play too much, but like, it seems like he's got the curse of playing on the irrelevant team Absolutely. thing that like Miles Turner had and that uh, Simmons sure. sort of had. And, you know, the team that didn't maximize him, like Jalen Brown had, sure. like, is that. I mean, that seems fair to you, right? I think absolutely. Uh, Dennis Smith averaged more points, steals, assists, rebounds, and at a higher three-point shooting percentage than De'Aaron Fox. <laughs> so really, he... So what? what why is, is it just the, the size? Uh, so he's a little small. Yeah, he's about an inch or two shorter uh, than Fox. He's about 6'2". But I do think that people question Dennis Smith's feel for the game. I think that, you know, the same thing I said about Tatum, where I think he's a little selfish. I don't know if he's making winning plays. You could say mm-hmm. that about... Dennis Smith. I also think that Dennis Smith, you know, he doesn't have a great vision for a point guard. Would be the other thing I would say. Even though he averaged, you know, six assists a game, Fox only averaged, I think, four. But I would take Fox's feel for the game over Smith. Smith is mostly like if you can make the game really easy for Dennis Smith, I think that's the number one most important thing you have to do. You can say this for pretty much any young guard, I think. But I want spread, pick and roll. Dennis Smith running downhill. He's an Eric Bledsoe level athlete. He's a freak athlete. He will go up and throw it down on your head. No problem. It's six Even foot two. Even after a torn ACL? Even after... Uh, he oh, was yeah. the, the most athletic guard in college basketball this year, I would say, in terms of speed and vertical explosiveness, like 13 months removed yeah. from a torn ACL. We probably haven't even seen Dennis Smith at the height of his athleticism. That'll come in the That's NBA. Crazy. Uh, I, I took a picture But of... I just don't know if he makes winning plays, like... <laughs> and then, you know, when he's deep in the playoffs, it's going to be tough for him against bigger guards. I think, you know, short guards always have a little bit of problem in the playoffs. So I don't know. I don't think like Dennis Smith is like a grand slam pick yeah. in any way, but he's a safe pick to be like really, really damn good. Do we, do we see any like when I was watching him put up his big triple double against uh, Duke, Duke this year? That was his defining game. Defining game, and I watched it. It was great. And actually, there was a dunk. There's a tomahawk dunk he yeah, had in that game where I took a picture because I had to like freeze my television and be like, "Hold on a minute, he ends up dunking this." Because you're right, the explosiveness is crazy, but the extension, he's got a, a beautiful symmetry mm. to his dunking, something I like about so dunking. he's got like that Robert Pack sort of jumping yeah, ability. Yeah, totally. That sort or, of thing. But I see a little bit of Dame Lillard in that, too, as a common comp right now. Now, he's not yeah. as fluid about working off the pick and roll. He doesn't right. have the type of range. But, look, Dame like Lillard's not Bledsoe. afraid to dunk on people. I like Bledsoe as a more powerful guy. For, yeah, because he's more power. Whereas, like, yeah. uh, what makes Lillard so special is his ability to shoot the ball with range off the dribble, yeah. which is right. obviously, like, a super valuable skill in today's NBA. Uh, Smith is more like head first, downhill, mm-hmm. go to the rim. Smith can hit a catch and shoot three for sure. Sure. His release almost reminds me of Dwayne Wade's, whereas like he needs a minute to get it off. Yeah. Uh, it's not like a beautiful, fluid jumper. It's a lot but like Bledsoe, too. It'll go in. Bledsoe's got the little, like, yeah. kind of weird. Man, all this stuff you're saying makes me want that dude to go to Dallas. I feel like that'd be an awesome fit. Yeah, yeah and but you know, for the one year before Derek retires. But for sure, even if you <laughs> go as a f- rookie, like yeah, I mean, yeah. how about this front court? Nerlens and Harrison Barnes is a four all day now, right? Yeah. right. Like Harrison yeah. Barnes sucks at the three, but he's great at the four. Yeah. yeah. So if Nerlens and Barnes is your four, is your front court, oh, then you great. have you know the Nerlens Dennis Smith pick and roll. That's why the Knicks are the most interesting team in this draft. I'm telling you because the way I th- I think. The way the board breaks. Now, this is assuming the Magic select Jonathan Isaac at six, which is not a certainty, but that's what I believe will okay. most likely happen because he fits the John Hammond profile sort of of kind of the home run pick. I sure. think he's a little different because he's a safer defensive prospect. Regardless, mm-hmm. theoretically, I see a scenario playing out where the Knicks have the opportunity to select 
one of Dennis Smith, Malik Monk, or French Frank with that pick, what are they going to do? Sounds I like think they're in on, on the French kid. They really like it him. sounds like it. So we'll see. He's the best fit for the triangle. He's also 18 years old. He's like a little baby. That's that, New York pressure. I don't want to. That's true. Does that mean that uh, Laurie Markkinen would find himself in Minnesota? I think so. Okay. Yeah. Like ideally, Minnesota wants Isaac. Yeah. Minnesota is 100% taking Isaac if he's, if he's available yeah. or they're crazy. Like he's a perfect fit between Wiggins well, and Minnesota. Towns. We're not. The jury's still out about whether their front office knows what it's doing. <laughs> yeah. That's true, too. Tibbs, man. Who knows? Um, we did not touch on Monk very much. Or French Frank. So I want to put both of them with two other guys, too. And that's Donovan Mitchell and Luke Kennard, both guys who excelled in college last year. Donovan Mitchell, who I know you were high on last time. I've been on the Donovan Mitchell bandwagon for two years at this point. So put those four together. That's, uh, That's Monk. Donovan Mitchell, Luke Kennard, and French Frank. All of which rumored here in the top 15. Again, still lottery here. I like Monk. I don't know. He's... You could see Monk flaming out, I guess. If you're going to say, like, you know, at least one guy in every top ten flames out, who's going to flame out in this class? I think Monk is almost the safest bet just because he doesn't have long arms. He doesn't make a lot of plays defensively. Uh, But you know what, dude? Malik Monk rules. I'll take Malik Monk all day. He is a special shooter, and he did not get to showcase his athleticism at Kentucky because Kentucky put no shooters on the floor next to him. He's playing next to Isaiah Briscoe, who's got a totally broke jumper. He's playing next to... Uh, so Briscoe's a point guard who was playing small That's forward right, for him right. because they had so many guards. Barrel-chested he's, point guard. He's playing next to Fox, who's got no jumper. He's playing next to Bam Adebayo, who can't shoot outside three feet. And people are criticizing Malik Monk for not getting into the paint and finishing the rim. It's like, dude, what's he supposed to do? He's playing with all these non-shooters. He might as well yeah. be playing with the three of us out there. I have more shooting range than Bam Adebayo. I'll take probably. the shot. <laughs> we talked about the hypothetical last podcast. Like, if you... Yeah, us, uh, one of us with the four best uh, Warriors players versus the 2012 Bobcats. But we don't, we don't, <laughs> we don't, we don't need to go back there. Uh, we, uh, we fell on the— uh, Who's we, guarding Tyrus Thomas? That's the question. Uh, I think we were going to be roaming and leaving him open. Uh, uh, but— <laughs> Yeah, I, I love Monk, dude. I think Monk's got sneaky upside as a creator. Mm-hmm. I think Monk is a sick athlete. Like, So when Monk was in the high school oh, circuit, yeah. he was known as an athlete, not a shooter. He was like a streaky That's shooter right. who could hit Jays off the dribble, but mostly he was an athlete. Yeah. Uh, and then when he Arkansas, got to Kentucky, right? yeah. Yeah, that's right. when he got to Kentucky, it was like, oh, well, this guy's just a pure shooter. Like, eh, not really. He's actually like a sick athlete right. and a great shooter. Right. Hmm. So I'm totally high on Monk. He needs to find a good situation. I do not want Monk to go to the Knicks. This is sort of a baseless thing, but I just don't think the Knicks have the structure that would put Malik Monk in his best position Why is succeed. that a baseless thing? I uh, think it feels, it's a very, okay. very baseless well, pretty grounded to me. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Sorry to all our Knicks fans. He just has to yeah. say, like, uh, um, you know, whereas like, here because you know, like, he's a college guy. Monk's game is a little more... It's a little more variables to his outcomes, I guess. Yeah. Whereas, like, if they take French Frank, it's like French Frank, if he grows into what he could be, he's like a George Hill type of 3 and D point guard, where he's tall, he can rip threes, he's not going to break you down off the dribble, but it's like, whatever, he's a serviceable player. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's very quick. Uh, but Monk, I think he has a bigger range of outcomes because, I mean, theoretically, he could be one of the better shooters in the NBA, I think, if his sure. shooting ability really starts to click. And then, like, he's way more athletic than any of the other top shooters. That's right. I mean, like, he blows all, like, I mean, Curry's obviously a special player, but, like, he's w- a way better pure athlete than Curry. He's a way better pure athlete than, could, you know, a lot of the top could, shooters. He's, he's small, I think, is part of the he's problem. He's 6'3 with a 6'3 wingspan, right? Could he find so, small, that's like, small. Would you, you, would you put his ceiling at being spoken of in that realm with McCollum and Beal? 
Yeah, I think McCollum, Eric Gordon, and J.J. Redick are my three comps. From Eric Malik Gordon Monk. makes some sense to me. I mean, McCollum is so creative as a scorer. So and Beal's Mc- bigger than you think. McCollum yeah, yeah. is a superior ball handler for sure. He was raised as a point guard. He started playing off the ball in the NBA because he was next to Lillard. But McCollum can't even touch Monk's quickness and athleticism. Sure, but he's like, a lot craftier. He's a lot craftier. Uh, but I think, you know, like he could be like Reddick. Like Monk ran a lot of the same stuff at Kentucky that J.J. Reddick has run in the NBA for years. The, the down screens going from side to side of the floor. Monk makes really quick decisions, sure. too. That's a sneaky thing about Malik Monk. He does not hold the ball. He gets it, and he goes, or he passes it. I think it's he big. thinks the game pretty quickly, yeah. which is sort of an underrated facet in the NBA. Uh, I mean, I'm high on Monk. I hope he finds himself in a good situation. He's a tough player to find a fit for though just because sure. like he doesn't have ideal size for a two guard I would love him in Philadelphia with Simmons uh, I think that would be the perfect situation it's not going to happen but you know if theoretically if he could be next to Giannis put mm-hmm. Malik Monk with Giannis like that would be killer well, what put about, Malik Monk what with James the, Harden that'd be killer what about the uh, Fox Monk backcourt in Sacramento so that's why I had my last mock draft Monk being the player who falls to number 10 shout but out they to also... Penny's and uh, SB Nation by the way Monk and Fox did a, did a little feature for us you guys check it out it's part of where you can get the personality of the two. Great. It's on Espionation uh, right now, Mike. But, good, good plug. Good go. plug. Go. All right. So, but it's like Monk and Buddy Heald have very similar skill sets. Like well, I, Monk is much younger. and <laughs> He's younger, but I mean, they're both pure shooters younger. who are about 6'3", six, 6'4". Six, yeah. Monk's a better athlete. Monk's younger. I would take Monk over Heald personally, but Heald played pretty well in Sacramento towards the end of the season awesome. following the trade. Also, uh, he, Monk is not a favorite of Vivek. Um, we got to wrap this up pretty soon, but last thing, is there anyone that's like, we haven't talked about sleeper-wise that is way too low that you think is going to be a really good player. I know you like uh, the Indiana kid and Anobi. Is that how you I'm fine with Anobi. He's I, I like DJ Wilson. If you want a real sleeper, he's from Michigan, six foot ten, two hundred forty pounds, seven three wingspan. One of the only guys in this class who had fifty blocks and fifty threes. He's someone who absolutely has like the skill set and the comfort level to play the wing. But he's two hundred forty pounds, real athletic and real right. long. It's like you play that guy at the four nowadays. Uh, I don't think he, you know, he was he struggled early in his career because Michigan kept playing him at the five. Right. They wanted to protect the rim. They wanted to be a little better of a defensive anchor. Well, that's not really his game. He wants to float. He wants to handle the ball. He can dribble between his legs, beat people uh, off the bounce. I can also so. dribble between my legs, by the way. Sometimes. Yeah, so I, have to, I have to keep my head down. Yeah, when but I what's do your it? wingspan, Prada? That's the oh, real question. It's longer than my height. I mean, that's the key. Like, hey, unlike Malik Monk, my wingspan actually it's not. Is it? No I way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right, I've I, never been measured. What do, what do you? Th- what's your wingspan? You've been measured. Six before. four. I'm six three. Six four wingspan. Oh, so you barely cross the better wingspan than height threshold. Yeah, most human beings don't have longer arms than their body, by the way. Just so you're on, aware of that, Mike. Okay. Uh, <laughs> all right. We well, DJ do Wilson some, does, and he's a pretty good player. We need to do some quick sleeper. hitters because we, there's a ton of players we missed, and Mike's right. We have like four minutes left. So I want to get uh, your thoughts on the following big men because we really haven't touched much on any centers yet. That, uh, that Which are is interesting, be by the way. The fact, that, the fact that, you know, big centers, like what value do they have in the league anymore? Right. Well, some of these are athletic guys. So... Let's listen to this list first. Um, Zach Collins is one of the guys who comes to mind. Um, then there's Justin Patton from Creighton, uh, Jared Allen from Texas, uh, TJ Leaf, you mentioned earlier from UCLA's team there who played with Lonzo Ball, um, and then da, 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 oh, and Harry Giles was the last guy I wanted to get to. So the Kentucky kid? Harry Giles went to Duke. He was also AU teammates with Tatum. Oh, Adebayo. Yeah, yeah. Bam, bam. Um, so, um, <laughs> oh man, that's great. I look uh, forward to that name. Of um, bam, of bam, those bio. big guys we just mentioned, any two or three of them sticking out? Like guys who you think? I mean, Collins is the best prospect, hundred percent. By, by far. 
Yeah, I would say so. He okay. actually reminds me of Miles Turner a bit. I haven't heard a ton of that comp, but uh, he can shoot the rock. He can block some shots. I liked his aggression, which college refs didn't. Yeah, like. but like <laughs> the other thing too is like, is he like if he's defending the pick and roll and Dennis Smith is coming at him, yeah, like that's yeah. toast, dude. Totally. Like he's not jacking Dennis Smith, but no one is in a right. sense. I kind of like Patton, which I don't think is a super popular opinion. I feel like Justin Patton is just scratching the surface. He took fifteen threes in college last year. He made eight of them. <laughs> really? Yeah. So he, he showed off that he could uh, hit some jumpers. He was even hitting them off the dribble a little bit, too. We were like, oh, no, 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 no. Nice. <laughs> he was one of those guys last year. And also, he shot like 68%. He had really Jeez. soft hands, finished around the rim, really fast, really agile. Uh, so I kind of like Justin Patton as maybe a potential sleeper in this draft. Okay. And then any other sleepers that come to mind before we uh, finish this off? Uh, I really like uh, Donovan Mitchell. I don't know if he's much of a sleeper anymore. <laughs> he's someone who's risen up the draft board. We have an article on SBNation.com. Uh, on Sterling Brown, who I think is a potential 3 and D guy, could be really interesting. That's Shannon Brown's younger brother. Okay. He's not as athletic. He's a better shooter, though. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, there's going to be sleepers in every draft, and there certainly will be here. Cam Oliver from Nevada is the last name I'll throw out there. I think okay. he's got some right. games. So where would you take us if we were in this draft? Like, if we if there were, like, infinite number of picks in the draft. Like, okay. Mike and I? Yeah. Like, are we what, together? Like, would we be, like, in the top... 5,000. See, I see Prada as like a Boris Diaw type of <laughs> like really high accurate. basketball mind, but like maybe not the the elite athleticism. <laughs> Bob Cat you're looking Dio. for. Yeah, yeah. Bob, maybe like Bob Where's Ben? Dio. Ben said he was defending point guards, but I would view yeah. him more as a wing. I'll take that. Uh, I don't know who who's your NBA player comparison. Do you have one? Well, I don't I look, just look at him. What I do you look think? like Manu. I'm not left-handed, though. I don't know. <laughs> I'd compare myself to like young Nate Robinson. <laughs> All right. So where we go in the where we go like in the top five thousand, the top five million. Yeah, like, you're in the top yeah, five million. Top five million. million. Um, <laughs> the last two guys I just want to mention real quick who I think that there's value for in the second round because I'm not sure where either of them really fits in the NBA, but they're interesting players. Caleb Swanigan, his body's been changing rapidly for the last eighteen months. Definitely interested to see what a professional weight regimen body type for him could be cut down with diet he's was kind of a freak last year at Purdue uh, and then Jordan Bell um, who had a meteoric rise in the tournament and there's definitely a place for hyper athletic aggressive defenders like him in the NBA so Swanigan it's like he can't defend a pick and roll to save his life he doesn't have the lateral quickness that's yeah. a problem he's a beast of a rebounder yeah. great interior score and very quietly turned into an, a brilliant three-point shooter huh, last year which I don't think a lot of people realize could he be Kevin Love why not? I don't know. Yeah, he rips I mean, threes. I think it's theoretically possible. That, that, kind of players, that kind of player is out of style now. Totally. Like, that's yeah. the problem. But maybe that could be a market inefficiency in right. a sense. Like right. He's a great rebounder. He scores inside automatic. And, yeah. I mean, if he sh- he made 44% of his threes at Purdue last year. He was better and better as the season went on in a high volume. And Jordan Bell, my problem with Jordan Bell is, like, he's so jacked that he can't <laughs> even lift his arms over his head. He has, like, no standing reach, yeah. no wingspan. Right, right, right. So it's, like, he's super fast. If Like, Jordan Bell can defend the hell out of a pick and yeah, roll. Yeah, yeah. Because he's really quick. Well, he could the right theoretically stay with him. Dennis Smith on a pick and roll. Yeah. Uh, but he doesn't have the length to challenge shots, and he doesn't have much... Yeah. Skill offensively, so well we will we'll we'll break some news on the next pod. I mean, look, we're going to be having everyone back. We got to end now, but uh, hopefully, Rick will be back tomorrow. At some point, we're going to get all the SB Nation uh, writers who are in town here. You know, Prada's entire team around the country is uh, here in New York, so we're all going to get together. And deliberate on the uh, uh, the goings on of the NBA, which the offseason I mean, by, by the is just we, insane. By the time we record that next one, it'll, like everything will. Yeah, change, Butler I'm will sure. be a Celtic. George will be a Laker. We'll go from there. Um, but again, Ricky, always great to have you on. Everybody, this is Ricky O'Donnell, the masterclass of college basketball scouting and uh, and writing here for SB Nation. So 
Thanks for coming on, Ricky. Anytime, Dad. Take the compliment, bud. Sure. <laughs> and uh, uh, for Preda and for Epstein here, this is the Limited Upside Podcast.